Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Friday, January 6th. What's ahead for Canada's job market in 2023? Following a wild year in 2022 with record low employment and at the same time labour shortages in many sectors, we get some insight as to what employers can do to successfully attract and retain employees. We speak with career placement specialist Dr. Candy Ho. It is the second year anniversary of the January 6th insurrection on Capitol Hill. We had stateside to discuss the milestone with Jackson Prosco, Global News Washington Bureau Chief. And finally, violence has erupted in the streets of several tourist-heavy regions of northwest Mexico following the arrest of El Chapo's son. Many travelers have been told to shelter in place at their resorts and flights have been disrupted to and from the Mazatlan airport. We get reaction from Eileen Head, a Calgarian currently in the region on holidays. We've all seen the stats. There are a lot of jobs out there. So how can we find the right fit for us? And what are employers doing to attract and retain talent in 2023? Joining us to discuss is Candy Ho, board chair for CEREC. Good morning to you, Candy. Good morning. How are you all? Good. Thank you for uh, getting up early with us. Let's uh, break this down. CEREC, the organization you're with, what is it and, and what do you folks do? Uh, we are a national not-for-profit organization whose mandate is to advance career development in Canada. So in forms of uh, career education, research, um, convening career development practitioners um, all over the country. In fact, uh, this month and later this month, we have our, uh, Connexus, which is the largest career development conference in Canada. Awesome. Okay, so we'll spell it for you. C-E-R-I-C dot C-A is the website, so people can have a look at that. But Candy, you know, obviously... We still have COVID in our world, the pandemic itself, though, hopefully in the rear view. How did that, how did the pandemic change the way we work in terms of the workforce and, and that whole working from home part of the puzzle? Yeah, well, there's that, the uh, working from home hybrid to completely remote. But I think in terms of the mindset, um, employees are also thinking about, um, you know, prioritizing their other life roles uh, in addition to work as well. So work is still important. Um, It's an important part of us getting meaning and satisfaction out of our lives, but there's also family, community endeavors, uh, maybe maybe school and, and studies and all of those other things. Uh, so, you know, people are, are thinking about those priorities and, and what's really important to them and how do they live, continue to live their lives according to those uh, values, whether it's emerging from COVID or things that they have set aside when they prioritize work and now is given an opportunity uh, to, to think about what is the most important to them. Yeah, so, so perhaps people are wanting to refocus and uh, build a purpose, purposeful career either within the field they're in or, or switch fields. So I'm wondering, with your clientele, there's no one-size-fits-all, right? Because some people might want a better fit for their family. Some people might want to change their hours or work from home. It's got to be different for you folks because everybody's needs are different. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Everybody has a different story, unique circumstances and situations. So you're right. There's no um, one particular way to, to, to look at this. And so um, as, as part of the work that we do as career development professionals, I think it's really important to hear the client side of the story, what they're looking for, their current circumstances, what, what challenges and opportunities they see, and then together collaborating with, our, with the individual client, build a 
a plan uh, that is uh, filled with strategies on how to move forward, whether it is, you know, how do if I choose to remain with my current employer, how do I negotiate uh, a better a better balance or work life integration that works for me and my family circumstances? Or, like you said, thinking about uh, moving forward to another industry, to another organization. And if that's the case, um, how do you articulate transferable skills that you have to move from one place to another? So lots, lots of possibilities for conversations here. Candy, how do we as business managers, as companies, do you think better support the employee? How do we make it, you know, a, a positive work life balance, but also just, you know, support as you go down the road is you want to keep those people you want to retain your employees how does how does that look Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's another great question. Thank you. Um, I think there's an opportunity here to be proactive and initiate these conversations and to set the context to acknowledge that it's been tough the past two or, you know, we're getting close to three years with the with the pandemic. It's been tough for everybody, the individual employees, the organization as a whole, and, you know, our society and community. So what is it um, that has kept us uh, persistent and resilient and adaptable? What are some elements that we need to keep. Conversely, what are some of the practices that are outdated that no longer serves us as individuals and as organizations the best? And what do we need to change as a result? And I think speaking from an employee standpoint, um, you know, I always appreciate when I've got supervisors and leaders that know that that can read the room and know and anticipate that these conversations are important to have rather than um, being my, myself or, you know, getting my clients to coaching them to to bring it forward that you know you're talking a lot from the employee perspective which is great because a lot of people are looking for changes or, or looking for work to begin with but from the employer standpoint it's kind of it has to be a paradigm shift in that they have to stand out and have you know great benefits perhaps a great pension great perks is that a learning curve for some of these employers who have been in the driver's seat but now have to cater more so to employees Mm-hmm. There's definitely a learning curve here. So uh, one recommendation that I've been sharing with organizations that I consult with is look at the comparables. Look at your um, competitor organizations to see what they're doing, uh, especially if you can identify organizations who is doing an amazing job retaining their employees. Uh, see if you can do some research and ask, you know, what's their secret sauce? What's going on there that's keeping their employees happy, motivated, and engaged and see what you can learn from that? Um, with that said, like, like individuals, not every organization um, would have the same amount of resources and capabilities. So part of it is, again, having that frank conversation with your individual employees and see what, what works for them. And also, what recommendations and solutions do they have as folks that are on uh, the ground? And then how can how can you collaborate with, with your employees to figure out um, something that works? Lots for people to think about. Thank you so much for your time this morning. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful day. You too. Dr. Candy Ho is the CEREC board chair as well as an assistant professor of careers at the University of the Fraser Valley. And we'll send people to CEREC.ca, C-E-R-I-C.ca. Yeah, it's one of those cases where we are finally in the driver's seat. It's insane. Before you take a job. And you do what the boss says. Because it might be slim pickings if you're having to cross the street to, to find another job, first of all. So true. And the other part is, you know, uh, you'd hear friends that had the odd perk and you'd say, well, unfortunately, I don't have that in my job. But now with the flexibility, you can base your job on the perks you want.
on the benefits, perhaps. I mean, within reason, obviously. Yeah, and we hear all the time of people, you know, who've taken a job, and I'm specifically talking about younger people, maybe in the service industry, et cetera, and then they just don't show up for the next shift because they've gone on to the next place because they're offering something better. Yeah, we talked with uh, Faisal Carmelli of the Popovich Carmelli Advisory Group uh, about about two weeks ago when he said, yeah, it's now ghosting, not just in relationships where you don't want to go on a second date, so you just never, you know, return the call, but ghosting in in the sense that before they they start not showing up, you got the job. What are you doing? Hard to believe it's been two years since the January 6th insurrection in the U.S. Capitol. And now the U.S. Capitol once again in a bit of chaos, just for a different reason, as the deadlock continues in the vote for a new Speaker of the House. Joining us to talk all about American politics is Jackson Prosco, Global News Washington Bureau Chief. Hi, Jackson. Happy New Year. Good morning, Happy New Year, and Happy Friday. Happy Friday. Glad to have you back with us. Boy, it's uh, it's been a bit crazy in the 2023 new year as to what's going on. Can you break it down for us? Yeah, I mean, what's happening uh, on Capitol Hill right now uh, is uh, unprecedented in more than a century. You have to go back to before the American Civil War to find a time when there was this much dysfunction and this much difficulty in selecting a Speaker of the House. And, of course, the Speaker of the House is uh, an incredibly important job. They're second in line in the presidential order of succession. Uh, Without a Speaker, all those newly elected members of Congress who just won election back in November can't be sworn in. So right now there is no House. Uh, There can be no serving of constituents. There can be no business done. There can be no bills passed. And really what it comes down to is that you've got the Republican Party uh, fractured. You've got 20 Republicans who say they will never support party leader Kevin McCarthy in his longstanding bid to become Speaker. And without them, we can't move forward. So today we're uh, expected to enter a 12th round of vote. And there's a little sign that the result is going to change in any fundamental way. For the first 11 rounds of vote, uh, voting, every single vote went the exact same way. So this is, this is wild to watch. So there's no no kind of kill point, Jackson. There's nothing that can supersede this. Is this just have to play out through continued rounds of votes? Yeah, somebody's got to get the 218 votes, and of course Republicans have the majority, but it's a slim majority, so they basically need uh, everybody on board, everybody in the pool to select a member of their party as leader at this point. Uh, And again, you've got these 20 so-called never-Kevin Republicans who uh, will not vote for Kevin. They will vote for anybody else. It's not a principled (laughs) stand in terms of selecting another candidate. They just don't want Kevin McCarthy. Uh, What you likely will see today is some backroom dealing where McCarthy will continue to make concessions to this group. Not clear if he's getting anything in return, but perhaps he's hoping he can whittle away the numbers and maybe get half of the group in his corner today for subsequent votes. And then he's got just a smaller group of holdouts that he has to try and pressure and negotiate with. But look, if they refuse to budge, we will reach a certain point in which uh, Kevin McCarthy's own supporters look at him and say, "You, you don't have the numbers. You're not going to get the numbers. We need to find someone else though it's not clear who that someone else is that could win over the majority of Republicans. It's it's really a messy situation. Yeah, gong show for sure. What is it about Kevin McCarthy that, that some of these Republicans just can't stand him? What, what's the deal? Yeah, uh, some of it is that he's an institutionalist. Some of it is the fact that he has wanted this job and courted this job for more than a decade. And a lot of it has to do with the fact that they want specific rules changes. They essentially want everyday members to have more power, including the power to topple the speaker and hold a new election for speaker. Kevin McCarthy has conceded to the point that he has lowered the threshold for that to a single member who can call a vote on the future of the speaker's chair. So really what this tells us is that 
under McCarthy or under anyone of his ilk, even though 90% of Republican members support him, you have enough holdouts that they really control the power here. And it is going to be very, very difficult for Republicans to govern with their majority over the next two years. Uh, you're kind of getting a sense that it's going to be chaotic even once there is a speaker here because you've got a small group who has the numbers to, to hold the whole thing hostage at this point. And it's not divided down any sort of ideological line. I mean, yes, these are, these are the far-right members of the Republican Party, the so-called Freedom Caucus, but some of them support former President Trump, but some of Trump's supporters also support McCarthy. So it's, it's messy, it's convoluted, and it's not getting resolved anytime soon. Well, Jackson, I can say with confidence, if this was not going on, the first order of business with you this morning on today being January 6th. We'll be talking about the second anniversary of the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol. Sue and I talking off mic how we were shocked that today it's been two years. Uh, but, you know, with the exception of it being overshadowed uh, this morning by other happenings, uh, how is it being commemorated? Is, is this something that people are looking back on uh, two years later, to, uh, besides, the, obviously, the hearings that have been going on? Yeah, and, you know, in a way, you can't look at what's happening with the Speaker's race without looking at what happened two years ago, because it's that same Freedom Caucus that denied the election results, that pushed Trump's rhetoric, uh, that really fueled up the mob that stormed the Capitol that day and, and tried to object to the slates of electors. They're the ones who are making life difficult for Kevin McCarthy right now, because, of course, he acquiesced to those extreme elements two years ago when he uh, at first condemned Trump and then ended up appearing by his side. Needless to say, what you're going to see today, two years later, is sort of a split-screen moment where this chaotic scene is unfolding in the House for different reasons than two years ago. While over at the White House, President Joe Biden is actually going to honor several of those who uh, intervened to stop the attack on January 6th, the police officers, and also many of the election workers who took the brunt of Donald Trump's rhetoric and faced personal threats uh, simply for doing their jobs in counting ballots. And those people are going to be honored with presidential medals today. So the memory of January 6th is not being forgotten for many reasons here. But namely, uh, you know, there's a sense that even after the January 6th committee wrapped up its work, that prosecutions are still on going and outstanding and commemorations are taking place today as well. Uh, one touch on uh, the Russia-Ukraine war that is ongoing now and uh, the White House confirming the U.S. is investigating the possibility of some sanctions to stop the production of those Iranian drones that Russia is using to target mostly civilians in the Ukraine. So what's the latest coming out of the White House there? Yeah, the sanctions have to do with the fact that the component parts, not the assembled materials, but the component parts used in those Iranian drones, some of them have U.S. ties. So they're trying to figure out a way to stem the flow of those weapons. Um, at the same time, the U.S. and Germany confirmed that they will be delivering uh, armored fighting vehicles, uh, armored personnel carriers to Ukraine, and more Patriot missile batteries. And those are highly sophisticated American air defense systems that can shoot down incoming Russian planes and missiles. So all of this is to say that support for Ukraine can continues. Um, the U.S. certainly sees an opportunity here to continue to turn the tide in Ukraine's favor. And the sanctions on Iran also come, of course, at a time of tremendous turmoil in Iran, where uh, the leadership in that country is struggling with a, a massive domestic uprising. And there's certainly pressure on the U.S. to intervene in that as well and help sway the tide in favor of democracy, which would have the spillover effect of ending Iranian support for Russia in the war against Ukraine. So many moving pieces here, and the U.S. is trying to find a way to be involved without directly being involved. Just before we let you go, Jackson, a new year, but still talking 
COVID-19 and the after effects with the new subvariant, which has been deemed Kraken. Hearing that it's having quite the impact in the northeast section of the country down south, particularly in Michigan and, and areas, again, uh, tight to the to the ocean. Uh, what are you hearing is as far as concern? Are people taking this seriously or are people kind of done with it at this point and, and ignoring any, uh, you know, worry for this Kraken variant? Yeah, I mean, generally speaking, the northeast U.S. seems to be the epicenter of the outbreak of this uh, new variant. But you you don't necessarily see a a change in the way people are going about their daily lives. People are optionally masking. There are certainly no mandates, but people do take it seriously. But generally speaking, you know, uptake of the bivalent booster, uh, the new boosters that came out late last year, has been low. Only about 16% of Americans have that. So I think people are watching and waiting to see what happens here. Uh, You know, hospitalizations have been ticking up in the northeast, but more primarily amongst older populations and those who haven't had their boosters. Uh, It does not seem so far as this may be as bad as the Omicron wave last winter, but again, it's early. It's a bad flu season. You've got RSV circulating at the same time, so uh, lots to watch there. Thank you, Jackson. Have a great day and have a fantastic weekend. You as well. Thank you. Thanks, Jackson Prosco. Global News, Washington Bureau Chief. Ottawa warning Canadians in Mexico's Sinaloa state in the Mazatlan area to limit their movements, shelter in place because of violence in that part of the country. That after security forces captured an alleged drug trafficker, the son of former cartel boss Joaquin El Chapo Guzman. Joining us now from Mazatlan is Calgary transformational coach and tourist Eileen Head. Hi, Eileen. Good morning from gorgeous Mazatlan. Uh, yeah, okay, so gorgeous. You feel, you sound upbeat. Uh, are you, is, are things okay there? What does it feel like? Things are right back to normal. The buses are running. Um, I was just talking to one of the um, uh, managers of the resort, and he sort of explained it to us in that they stopped all traffic on all the roads and the airports. The cartel did uh, just to limit things. They are not going to come into the city. They, they, you know, they respect the people. Tourist is the lifeblood here. So there were no incidents inside the city. It was just on the, the highway, and uh, they just wanted to secure the airport. Eileen, and that's all, that's all done now. Eileen, can you give us some, uh, you know, background as far as your history of being a, a tourist, a visitor of, of Mexico, and, and have you felt unsafe in the past in your, in your travels there? Um, hard to hear you, Andy, but um, I was down here um, last year as well, and I feel very, very safe in this city, um, just like Calgary. I wouldn't go to certain parts of Calgary at night or late at night, and the tourists don't do that. You know, it's it's. Uh, I, I go down on the bus by myself to Central and walk around always and feel very, very safe doing that. Yeah, Eileen, I was there, what, a month or so ago, and I agree with you. It's, it feels very safe there. So it would have been, you know, a bit shocking to get that, that notification that you're supposed to shelter in place. I'm, I'm curious, how did that happen? How did the Canadian government get that message out? Did you get a text alert or something like that? Well, everybody is, is very um, uh, digital savvy down here. So the minute something happens, our gates got closed and we were uh, recommended not to go outside at all. Um, and from there, everybody goes to the expat pages. And, uh, of course, there were people, you know, with crazy, uh, you know, false rumors, loving the drama, et cetera. Mm. But that was shut down pretty quickly. And uh, people just said, keep calm. It's going to be okay. It, it's in Kulikan. You know, if I was in Kulikan, maybe I would feel differently. 
but right now here in Mazatland, um, it's it's pretty calm. Um, it's, we're walking back up to the market today, and things are as normal. Okay, so back to the market today, but Eileen, were there any closures as far as having essential supplies? Did you have any disruption for that yesterday, or did, did you have everything you needed? Yes, absolutely. So all the major stores, all the everything started shut down. Walmart shut down, Soriano, and the reason that happened is the buses shut down. So that is their only way of transportation for the residents here. So they quickly wanted everyone to be safe in their houses, and that got shut down. So right now, did you but say... There was a really cool thing. Like, one of our residents was over at Soriano. They said they come out, there was nobody in the store, and there was nobody around on the buses, taxis, and a resident said, where are you guys from? And they drove them right up here. Like, it was so awesome. Wow. Okay, so buses are running, restaurants are open. Is the airport back open now? Do you know? I heard, um, I've seen that um, WestJet, now that could change, and this could, I, I wouldn't... I, some people were saying they, their trip was canceled for tomorrow, Saturday. Uh, and I just saw a post that Friday they might stay closed today. So um, other than that, um, you know, if you're coming down, I would keep an eye on the news. But I would I would not change my reservation to come. Thank if you. it was me. Eileen, appreciate it. I know you, you sent me to um, an expat's Facebook group. So there's lots of them out there where people can get information, whether they're trying to come back to Canada or whether they're heading to uh, Mexico or the, the Mazatlan area. So thank you so much for uh, a firsthand account from the ground. Appreciate your time and uh, enjoy the rest of your vacation. Thanks. Stay warm, you guys. Thank you. We'll try. You stay safe. Eileen Head is a transformational coach here in Calgary and a tourist right now in Mazatlan. You can go to her website, by the way, at EileenHead.com.